Hello, this is the Consciousness Podcast, and I'm your host, Stuart Preston. Each episode, I have a conversation with an expert in human consciousness. In this episode, I had the honor of speaking with Dr. James Glatfelder. Dr. Glatfelder is a physicist turned quant, turned complexity scientist, with a pinch of data science and a philosophical bent. He has a PhD in complex systems from the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology and is interested in fundamental theories and real-world complexity. We discuss quantum physics and consciousness, the concept of reality, panpsychism, and more. Please enjoy this episode with Dr. James Glatfelder. All right, James, well, thank you so much for joining me here on the Consciousness Podcast. I really uh, am grateful for your time to talk to us about uh, quantum physics and consciousness. So having me, Stuart. (laughs) Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So kind of the impetus, the reason I reached out to you is obviously your expertise in in both, you know, physics, quantum physics and consciousness um, among so many other things um, that you're an expert at, but those two particularly, because I hear, you know, in, in, discussions of consciousness from people like Deepak Chopra and even some people that I've interviewed here on the podcast, when you ask them questions about consciousness, you know, how it binds to the brain or what causes it, you know, whatever, a lot of times they'll say, quote, quantum physics. And so I kind of wanted to know, you know, with your knowledge of both consciousness and, and quantum physics, do you see a connection there? Do you see something to do with quantum physics with consciousness and, and how might that work? Well, yes and no. I mean, in one sense, people like to sort of bundle the two together where it's like, yeah, we don't really understand consciousness and we don't really understand quantum physics. So maybe they're related. Mm. So that's kind of like an easy way out where we're kind of, um, if you don't think too deeply about the things, you just put them together and like, yeah, there must be something there. Um, I don't really tend to, to think that's the right way to go. So um Basically, I don't know, for me, um, more recently, I think the kind of the problem is that we're kind of stuck in a in this scientific paradigm, which has served us really well. And kind of it's, it's sort of this mathematical based sort of reductionistic materialistic view of the world where we think, mm-hmm. yeah, if we kind of zoom into matter, we see the little Lego blocks. We, we kind of yeah see how the world is built up and. Basically, quantum, uh, quantum physics has been telling us for over 100 years that this is totally not the case. And um, kind of taking this into um, this paradigm, kind of it forces us to, to sort of shift into a different mode and, and look at reality differently, I believe, kind of in the, in the sense that um, it's kind of not matter that we're dealing with that the kind of the... the the very bottom of reality if you zoom down and what I kind of really like is this idea of, of, of panpsychism. So this is kind of a, hmm. it's kind of an old philosophy and it's sort of um, coming back in, in the context of, of like um, these newer sort of formal theories of consciousness, like this integrated information theory and kind of um, some philosophers of the mind, which really like it. And basically it's saying that consciousness is everywhere which is like totally putting everything on the head that we've learned up to now. But um, maybe that's kind of the problem that we're facing here that uh, we have it the wrong way around that we think, okay, you have like space, time, matter, and then you sort of assemble the stuff and in these different configurations, wow, life pops out and consciousness. 
maybe it's totally the other way around that actually sort of consciousness is is the actual fabric of of reality out of which space and time emerges and i think that's for me kind of this feels kind of uh, more right than kind of this um reductionistic science uh, um, materialistic sort of narrative of science and i believe that um yeah you can you I mean, this isn't like sort of abandoning, abandoning all kind of these principles of science. This is kind of really embracing a lot of new information we're getting from um, kind of information processing, com- kind of this computational aspect of reality that, that, that we kind of better understand how, how we get complexity from simple rules. And I think this will just take a while to sink in that more people think in this kind of new paradigm where maybe consciousness is something totally different and we sort of totally missed what it what it was because we thought it was something like emergent but maybe kind of space time is the emergent thing coming out of this whatever uh, kind of primal field of consciousness or whatever you want to call it and i think this is kind of exciting sort of um way to go for the future to sort of see what what can we do if we sort of um yeah open up and, and sort of allow for kind of more crazier ideas to be tested scientifically yeah, it's kind of how change comes in the, the field of physics, right? It's a crazy idea. I mean, I, I would assume that um, the double slit experiment and uncertainty were, were pretty radical at the time when quantum physics was, was being born. Yes, and um, I mean, there's a nice quote from Max Planck, where, um, but it's kind of a bit depressing, where he's saying that actually um, change only comes about in physics when like the old guys die (laughs) and the young ones take over because it's not that anyone ever was persuaded to like switch their beliefs because they saw the evidence and um yeah i mean max planck he 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 discovered by chance quantum physics he stumbled over it the the math didn't work out so he he had this kind of just little mathematical trick where he thought okay let's try and see what happens if if energy comes in like different discrete levels everyone knew it must be continuous, but it was like, yeah, let's try this mathematical trick. And it worked. And then later on, Einstein actually uh, showed that this was the real thing, the, these these photons and with the photoelectric uh, effect. And that's actually where Einstein, Einstein got his um, Nobel Prize and not for all the other um, kind of crazy theories he came up with, with relativity later on. Wow. Well, yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting because one of the the people you know in trying to research for our discussion today, one of the people that seems to be follow have followed, um, he is deceased, have followed those uh, that path of coming up with something new and something different and and quote crazy, is uh, David Bohm. So he's obviously not a new kid because he's obviously he's lived a full life and is gone now, but. His, he seemed to come out with these ideas of pointing out that our theories, our, our big theories of physics are not compatible, right? Quantum physics is not compatible with general, Einstein's general relativity. And some of those don't seem compatible with the Newtonian classical physics, Apple falling on the head. And he had his, you know, implicate order theory and had kind of a, a quantum potential, a wave that maybe explained where the, the particles would end up in the double slit experiment. But he also seemed to kind of imply that, that consciousness, like you were talking a minute ago, that consciousness could be a part of that, that maybe that, that wave could be 
defined as consciousness. And, and I don't know, maybe I'm not connecting these properly, but this whole idea of the, the pan psychism and, and integrated information theory, maybe there's something to all of these combined together that m- maybe makes some sense here. What do you think? Uh, totally. And it's interesting that a lot of the pioneers of quantum physics, they, um, they just realized that somehow consciousness plays a role here because of this weird thing that when you observe reality, you change it. And um, there's like really, um, there's a nice quote by um, uh, Dyson Freeman, where he kind of uh, said that, well, there must be something mind-like to the electron, electron like in the 1950s. And all of this totally came out of fashion. And um, at one point there was this mantra, just shut up and calculate. Don't try and understand quantum mechanics, like Mm. the philosophical part. There's like, just forget it. That's not going to work. Just do the math. And this worked really, really well. And all our technology is basically based on, on like, just like, just shut up and calculate and, and, and come up with new technology that this whole thing of the mind just got totally dropped and disappeared. And actually not even, not only physics, I mean, generally all over science up to like the 1990s, uh, talking about consciousness was like uh, not a topic or, or anything of, of sort of academic interest. And there's like also quotes of people saying that, yeah, uh, I mean, a lot of things have been said about consciousness, but basically there's like nothing interesting or new to be said about that. And kind of this mm-hmm. only changed with, with Koch and Chalmers when they kind of sort of reframed this thing of like, okay, the hard problem of consciousness, like why do we have subjective feelings and things like that? which kind of give physicists a hard time because physicists always do physics without kind of uh, factoring in the physicist. (laughs) So kind of like the phenomenon of life and consciousness are, I mean, by definition, not in the fields of physics, but still kind of this, um, uh, this weird thing that we all experience reality from within this subjective bubble. Always we're kind of locked in this moment of now, which always transitions from the past to the future but everything we try and do in physics is like objective from the outside. And, and somehow the, these two just clash in a way and just don't fit together. Kind of, uh, as you were saying that um, kind of the theories of the small and the, and the large, this quantum mechanics doesn't blend with general relativity. And this has been kind of the, the biggest challenge for theoretical physics in the last, whatever, 40 years and string theory and M theory and all these things have popped up. And basically they haven't really, um, given us any better understanding of the fundamental nature of reality. They've given us a lot of really cool and amazing math, but they haven't actually really told us what reality is about more, which is kind of embarrassing if you think about it, that so many people and so many bright minds have just tried to sort of grapple with reality from this perspective, and, and they haven't even managed to merge the two theories that work uh, fantastically well but just within their domain and we can't have an over um, arching theory and there's actually a longer list of, of kind of the limits of, of physics which um, or science in general which usually people don't really sort of like to talk about because um, yeah you kind of you focus on your work and you try and sort of burrow into kind of a tunnel of knowledge and sort of this more sort of broader perspective of, of, of like looking at sort of different fields is, is not something which is on vogue or has been for a while. So kind of the idea of stepping back and looking around a bit outside of your field. But um, I mean, apart from like 
uh, hard philosophical questions of why is there anything at all? Why do we have stuff that exists? Um, mm -hmm. One really interesting thing is this um, self-organization and complexity. Like why? So the universe starts with a big bang, as far as we know, in this very homogeneous state. And today we have this breathtaking complexity in our skulls. If you take out the human brain, it's like the most complex thing we've ever encountered in the universe. Like, how do you get to there? How, how, how does this self-organization and this emergence happen? And we don't really know much about this. We kind of know that somehow um, simple rules give complex behavior for some reason. Uh, Stephen Wolfram, he, after 18 years, he's back with a new book where he kind of uh, is sort of trying to rewrite the whole of physics with kind of this new paradigm of simple rules. And he gets pretty far where he actually claims that he can bring sort of quantum mechanics and general relativity closer together. Hmm. But um, somewhere there, there's, there, there appears to be a force in the universe which makes it kind of structure. And if, if you sort of use the, the computational paradigm, so the universe seems to have kind of this innate tendency to get to higher and higher levels of computation. And this seems to be something like a force, but this then quickly gets you into trouble um, as a scientist because it's, it's kind of related to this notion of, of a kind of a teleological force. This is kind of a force which has a kind of a meaning and he wants to get somewhere, he wants to get to higher levels of, of, of structure and complexity, which for many scientists is a total taboo because they can't be kind of, the universe can't have a meaning or can't have something like it's striving towards. So that kind of gets kicked out of the, <laughs> um, yeah. out of the window. But basically, if you think about it, in, in the laws of, of the universe, in the state of the Big Bang, the, the potential for what we're seeing today in complexity somehow had to be there. So how do we explain that? Where does that come from? And I mean, again, yeah, what is space, time, and matter? Like the closer we look at it, the more bizarre it gets. I mean, we know that matter doesn't exist. Like uh, at one point it just breaks down and, and what we see are, or what we're kind of dealing with are basically just like mathematical structures which do not correspond to anything we can like conceivably sort of um, imagine in our mind. Time is also very problematic if you actually try and, and, and sort of quantify it, also from a philosophical point of view, but also in physics, where there's like a few physicists who are like, yeah, time in this illusion, uh, time in this illusion, doesn't, it doesn't really exist. And it's interesting that it kind of, when you start to do this quantum gravity stuff, when you try and bring general relativity and quantum mechanics together, somehow just time um, falls out of the window. So again, something like, something super close and, 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 and very normal to our everyday experience of reality, the flow of time is something really, really hard to explain. And then you have space, which is like, um, or empty space, which is apparently not empty because it's full of energy, which makes our universe expand at faster and faster, at a faster and faster speed. And we can measure this. So, we have empty space, which is full of energy, which expands and brings out more space and energy. So, yeah, and the list goes on. And I mean, all the coincidences that had to happen for us to have this conversation today. I mean, just like the fine tuning of, 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 of all the, the forces of nature, the, the weight ratio of a, a, a neutron to an electron, the whole history of, of kind of 
everything that happened in the world. I mean, it's, it's kind of mind-boggling how, how weird it actually is that we're seeing what we're seeing and we're having this conversation now. But of course, every day we wake up and think, yeah, it's like whatever, it's, it's the way it is. And then kind of, uh, Yeah, <laughs> take it for mind. granted. Exactly. Our mind just deals with it. It's like totally normal. But actually, yeah, I mean, science has a lot of, um, a lot of issues and things it can't explain which is fine, but usually, yeah, science doesn't really declare that because it's, it's very good at, at, at actually, yeah, sort of building stuff, doing technology, kind of um, engineering, which is great, which helps us in civilization. But somehow, yeah, this fundamental, these fundamental things, they just, they're really hard to grasp. And like most of science is like, or just physics, is just so fragmented and, all these fragments seem to work really well within their domain, but they just don't relate to all these other things. So somehow we're, we must be missing something which should sort of gives us, uh, which brings all these pieces of the puzzle together. And that could be, as I mentioned before, that we just totally misunderstood the nature of consciousness. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of things. It's quantum physics and the brain and consciousness that a lot of different theories, a lot of different uh, concepts, but we don't actually grasp any of them very well. Um, yes and no. I mean, kind of, again, in our sort of, um, in this narrative we have, sort of our Western scientific materialistic narrative. Yeah. No, not within that. But actually, um, there are um, so a lot of traditions which kind of have a different approach to all of this. I mean, uh, going far back in time, I mean, in, in Hinduism and Buddhism, kind of the, the, the focus of all the practices were just to observe your own consciousness, just basically to, to become an expert in consciousness and just see what happens in your consciousness and kind of move out of it. And that's why there's like, um, there's a lot of interesting information coming out there and a lot of sort of um, uh, knowledge, which, sometimes seems to come pretty close to what science and, and like the, 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 this Western paradigm have, have talked about in reality. And of course, these things have not been really taken aboard. I mean, slowly we're, we're talking about it, but basically um, science excludes sort of these modes of knowledge generation. But basically that's like exactly where we should be going. You're actually studying the kind of the thing itself, which is your own consciousness. So basically, you just sit down, close your eyes, and then you you can start to explore. And th this kind of also ties in into these these um, uh, shaman traditions around the world. Also, kind of this, their uses usage of, of psychedelics, where basically you're journeying kind of outside of space and time while you're kind of sitting in a room and your brain is being affected by certain molecules. But kind of the experience that you make, it's uh, more real. So what is what what these people say is like on these journeys, what you're seeing is is it it's just more real than kind of sober reality you encounter. But it's kind of outside of this context of space and time, which makes it kind of so really weird. And I just recently um, read a book that kind of blew my mind. It's by this. Uh, philosopher of, of religion called uh, Christopher Bage. And he, for 20 years, he did 73, I think, high dose LSD sessions. 
but kind of as a philosopher, because he was saying this is so relevant and, and kind of we need a philosophy of psychedelics. And so he went on this really extreme journey and kind of the, the things he describes of, of kind of these outer levels and realms of reality outside of space and time. And they're all kind of related to, to kind of deeper and deeper levels of consciousness. Um, this seems to be something which... Um, for me, when I read it, it, it just feels very right. Of course, like for mm. many scientists, when they read it, it's like, yeah, big deal. He, had, he, he took psychedelics and had hallucinations. So what? Right. But, but kind of the things that he describes, like um, he had to sort of stop these sessions because he was saying that it, it, it just hurt him too much. That kind of going into these deeper states and just kind of experiencing this oneness and this light and this kind of, uh, you would call it, I don't know, kind of this godliness, it just became too much to go there and come back <laughs> into this mm. reality, which then felt just very dried up and, and, and sort of lacking kind of um, color and, 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 and sort of taste and, and, and that kind of struck me to, I mean, that, yeah, just kind of this thing that we cherish most, kind of our experience of reality in a normal mode, is something which is on a spectrum of things you can experience kind of at the very low yeah. end. And it took him like 10 years after his last session to sort of really come back into and accept and sort of be kind of anchored back in the material because he was just so deep into this trans transcendental huh. states that kind of his his um, uh, his physical existence just sort of um, yeah that became just problematic and he he, he got like he existentially depressed and it was just all too much for him. But after like now thirty years, so twenty years sessions, ten years after that, um, he um, yeah he's reflecting on these things and and as a f philosopher he does it kind of very very sort of um, strategically and, and and scientifically and that's like something which this is very new and relevant information I find, which hasn't been around for too much, or they've been around in like different traditions, like in South American shaman ayahuasca traditions, but not brought into the context of our sort of analytical Western mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to, I want to maybe talk more about hallucinations and are they real? But I guess the first thing to ask is what is real? You know, is reality something that is constructed by the brain? Is it something that is observed, you know, by the brain? What's, what's your take on, on what is real? Um, or maybe to come back to the, to the hallucination thing. So probably what we're experiencing as reality is a hallucination in any mm. case. <laughs> and kind of the, again, the realness is, uh, I think in this, the, the current sort of, if you're inside of space and time kind of embodied in consciousness, you can't really touch it. I think that was what, what um, Immanuel Kant was going on about kind of the, the thing itself. You cannot touch it. You cannot experience it because it's, it's, it's just beyond your grasp. If you're kind of embodied in space and time. And again, just like um, there's a lot of uh, sort of literature on people taking ayahuasca who, who just feel they touched the thing itself and they actually were there. <laughs> but again, it's like, I, I think, I think the, the hard thing to accept is that the reality we're experiencing here, kind of three spatial dimensions and time, this is maybe just a 
a small subset of a whole richer kind of reality context, which goes far beyond space, time and dimension and matter, which, which um, we can't even sort of start to, um, to understand or perceive. So I think that's maybe also kind of the openness that we should have that um, where kind of the problem of science is when they come in and say, yeah, but that can't be possible because it has, it can't be explained within the context of this materialistic scientific paradigm that maybe we should, we should slowly start to be more open and like say, okay, what happens if we extend this, if we kind of allow for new information to come in, like from panpsychism or from this um, basically um, having information being the most fundamental thing in the, uh, well, below space and time, mm-hmm. where you can also have a, a, a kind of a different interpretation of quantum mechanics. And a lot of the puzzles suddenly make sense if you look at it as an information processing or from an informational sort of paradigm. And I think that's kind of scary for many scientists because it's, it's kind of moving towards a scientific spirituality. <laughs> it is. And that is something which interestingly is, a, a, at least if you're kind of as a professional academic, a, as a scientist, this is somehow not acceptable. It's a taboo. <laughs> and yeah. that's the kind of the steps we need to take that we sort of, um, uh, yeah, yeah. We're allowed you know, it's, to talk uh, about subjectivity and yeah, all these other kind of things, which which were sort of not on the the radar of sort of this classical scientific mindset. Yeah, it's one of the things in the uh, the the biography of David Bohm is he came out with this theory, and I guess Oppenheimer convinced a lot of people, including Einstein, to basically put it in a drawer and ignore it and say that this is that Bohm is either wrong or we have to ignore this and they chose to ignore it. And it's like what you're talking about is scientists, you know, are not necessarily ready to look at something that might be spiritual, metaphysical, philosophical in, in the frame of science. Yeah. And, but it, things are slowly changing. So I, I recently bought it for research purposes, this textbook and it's called, um, neuroscience uh, consciousness and spirituality <laughs> where the mm. authors was, and it's like i think it came out last two years ago and the authors were like yeah somehow this seems to be a very relevant part of this whole kind of endeavor but it's often just or it hasn't been there before and we should put this in the equation and they're all kind of neuroscientists and philosophers but at one point they kind of admit that it it was really hard to sort of um get this published in that in that context where it's just like um to play the game of like having your work sort of be recognized and and peer-reviewed and all these things it's just still kind of too much on the on the side of the kind of the crazy ideas yeah yeah it's interesting you know it's funny you mentioned ayahuasca i've actually been fortunate to take part in ayahuasca ceremonies and when when it's over everybody does sit there and stare at each other and they start to ask, was that real? Because it was, it's such an amazing reality that it, it makes one question what is real versus what is in my head, what creates reality or does reality create me and going back and forth with that. And then in that context, like you're saying when, when time goes away and you have this new hallucinatory reality, whatever it is, then, then you start to question, you know, what, who am I? And what is, what is self and, and what is ego? 
And how, how do you see that notion playing in with, with consciousness and, and the, in reality and the things we've been talking about? So uh, which notion specifically? Self, ego. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the, the default mode that we start with, kind of this, our brain sort of, yeah, <laughs> we're born and, and our brain starts to go online at one point and, and that's the, the default, default mode we, we start with, kind of being this individual which is delimited from everything else. But, um, yeah, kind of these, these experiences of, of like sort of, um, merging or, or becoming part of this bigger field of consciousness and all these experiences that seems to be something kind of fundamental to to also these psychedelic um, experiences where um, Stanislav Grof I think, think was one of the first to kind of describe these ego death cycles where kind of to get to deeper and deeper levels of consciousness you kind of go through these cycles of, of sort of ego death and only then, if you sort of let go of these or are forced to let go through, um, he did it with LSD, that then you can kind of enter these new levels of, of, of existence and reality, which, which then can be very healing. And that's another thing, which um, luckily it, it's back again, but kind of all the um, therapeutic effects of a lot of substances, which have just been scheduled, um, what is it, one or two drugs, which mm -hmm. basically say they have no benefit to society whatsoever, they're all back and um, actually have a huge potential to heal the mind from ketamine to MDMA to LSD to uh, ayahuasca. All these um, substances are now being taken and, and used in, in, in the clinical context to help people um, post-traumatic st uh, post -traumat stress, uh, fear of dying, um, severe untreatable depression, all these things, and, and we know, I mean, we have a huge um, uh, problem with mental illness globally, yes. and, and we're not really addressing it, and kind of all the substances that we've used before, which are yeah, um, psychopharmaca, they don't, they, they don't work. And we know that with psychedelics, what they do is actually they, they kind of, they switch off your default mode network, which is maybe exactly that, um, that default state, which which kind of makes you feel as a as a delimited self, an ego, and what it does, at, at least for um, uh, DMT and, and and LSD, it kind of it switches off this default mode network, and the whole brain starts to become more integrated, and then these um, experiences are made, and it kind of resembles a bit of a reboot, like rebooting your computer. So after that, the default network comes back again but it's, it's in a bit of a different state. And, and somehow this is sort of the neurological basis for why um, these treatments really work well and, and work well for, for a longer time. And um, this, I mean, 2000, that, yeah, 2020, I mean, we've had these things around. We could have listened to Stanislav Grof. He, he was kind of pioneering these things. And again, we just put it on this blacklist and, yeah, added it to the to these blind spots that we have in in our culture, and then they just yeah uh, got lost yeah. for a while. But luckily, all these things are now coming back. Yeah, yeah, we're very fortunate about that. And like you said, for so many reasons, not not just understanding consciousness, but terminal stress from terminal illness and cessation from smoking, and so many different things that they're going to benefit us. So hopefully, we continue to see them come out like that. Um. 
I skipped one thing as we were going because we started talking about reality, but I had a question kind of talking back into the, the quantum physics realm here. Um, the, the concept of, of non-locality, I think maybe an example of that is this quantum entanglement. And, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, you mentioned panpsychism, which, you know, may or may not be related to it, but we hear notions of expanded consciousness, cosmic consciousness. Um, do you think or feel that there's any possible quantum uh, physics play and, and these notions of the expanded consciousness, universal consciousness, panpsychism, those kind of things? I don't really know. I mean, kind of, for me, the, the non-locality is, is, is really kind of um, an important concept because it just shows us that our concept of space and time is wrong. <laughs> yeah. This is, and we know it from, uh, we can do experiments with it. We, we even use it for, for quantum computation, this entanglement. It's real. And it means that we're missing something. How can a particle being whatever distance you can imagine apart from a different particle and you touch one and the, the first particle got affected instantaneously. How uh, should that work if you think as kind of reality being space and time? And this is a nice example where if you think about this in a, in a information paradigm, it's basically uh, pretty simple. These, the, these entangled particles, they're just part of this information uh, entity. And space and time is just something which is not relevant there mm. at all. And I think these things should be, yeah. I mean, if we take this more seriously, we, we really should, yeah, we should be shocked that, that, or we should realize that our kind of narrative of reality is, is way, just way off of, of, of kind of what it should be because we know we have these problems and we, we don't know how to address them. I mean, even the simple wave particle uh, what does that mean? How does that even work? Or um, quantum tunneling, which because everything is probabilities in, in the quantum world, you, every particle has a non-zero probability of being somewhere else. Of course, the further away, the, the smaller. But this means that you can actually have a kind of a barrier and the particle can move through this barrier <laughs> and appear on the other side. Although this is physically impossible, in a classical context, but just because the probability was there and then you have this quantum tunneling, which we've known about for ages and how, uh, yeah, or, or why do we not kind of integrate these things into our, or, or into trying to sort of um, find a new narrative for what it's all about, kind of what, what we're, what are we doing here? And that's kind of the other thing that somehow our, so our science doesn't, give us a spirituality and kind of the, these monotheistic religions we have, they kind of, uh, I don't know uh, if I want to say reduce, but they kind of define kind of spirituality in the sense that it's, you have this external thing, <laughs> right. this external entity, this God entity outside of you. Whereas probably what we should be doing is, is looking within and trying to find sort of this, this uh, spark of whatever it is within ourselves where probably these Hinduistic and Buddhist, Buddhist traditions, they do exactly that. And that's probably kind of the way, um, an interesting way to go. And what I've found is really interesting, kind of like, uh, I mean, one thing, it, 
sort of we also sort of stopped asking ourselves is like what's the meaning of all of this like why why do things happen in the way they do and i kind of like this old sort of a concept of leela from it's it's, it's this hindu concept which it's i don't know 5000 or even older it's like in the in the vedas it's it's this super old kind of narrative of reality where basically all of all of reality is this cosmic play and every entity in it is kind of playing a role so it's 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 this this huge sort of play which is being enacted <laughs> and mm-hmm. i kind of like this because it comes very close to something which i think could also be possible to as an explanation for like what reality is that we're basically living in 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 the simulation kind of there there's a lot of um kind of i wouldn't call it evidence but sort of um there are good reasons to think that basically the whole structure we're seeing around us, it's, it's all about information processing and the, law, the kind of fundamental laws of physics from black holes and information and how that works is, is basically telling us that um, literally the notion of a simulation is something which, um, as outlandish as it sounds, it, it, it actually is something which could be... Uh, kind of a pretty plausible explanation. And there's a, I mean, there's, this goes back like 40 years. It starts with um, Hawkins radiation of black holes and like what happens to the information of stuff which is in black holes. And then Beckenstein who comes and finds out, ah, actually there's a limit to information. And actually all the information within um, a three-dimensional structure is basically encoded on the two-dimensional um, surface and then you kind of have string M theory with the, the CFT duality and it's there's a lot of stuff going on within physics which actually points you towards this and, and lets you sort of um, or, or makes this, this crazy idea actually appear sort of pretty uh, compelling. That we are living in a simulation. What well, is not that... living. I think living is again like uh, yeah. you're kind of experiencing we're kind of <laughs> the I don't know the again the the hallucination we're having that somehow it, is part of 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 this sort of um cosmic inf- play or cosmic simulation yeah this information simulation yeah again, that's that, yeah sorry no sorry go ahead i don't want to cut you off no no i was just saying that i mean these things are are just as crazy um to a lot of other things in 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 science or no so so these things are just as crazy as 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 kind of other concepts but for physicists obviously they're more acceptable because there's like the the mathematical backing but Mm. if we really live in in kind of a an information-based reality then as an example homeopathy i mean every every scientist and doctor will tell you this makes no sense i mean you can't have like just one particle within kind of a sea (laughs) and whole ocean and this should have an effect well yeah in a materialistic narrative of course not that makes no sense but if it's about information and kind of the imprinting of information then things look differently or kind of this psi phenomenon of of like whatever telekinesis or telepathy and all these things which are Mm -hmm. like totally i mean these are like the really big taboos in science like you right. cannot even start there's like dean radin radin mm-hmm. who's like one of the few physicists who like actually says look i'm i'm researching this and it's okay because that's kind of like yeah really bad for your career right and all these things 
of course, there's all this opposition from science because it's like, this is not possible. How You must be cheating. You, you must be doing your experiments wrong or you're just a fraud. You're just lying to us. But of course, this only makes sense if you are stuck in your one paradigm, which makes this impossible. But if we transition to a different view of reality, which is more kind of, yeah, if consciousness is, is fundamental, then maybe my thoughts can influence physical reality in quotes unquote which is then less physical than kind of this primal consciousness below and then all these phenomena actually are maybe something which we should be looking for because they're absolutely expected within this paradigm but again it's like really hard to cut through all these layers of of sort of cultural imprinting we've had yeah to actually get to that get to that answer because you have so many stumbling blocks and so many people saying no or just the openness to like say okay let's let's do this. And then of course, many people will say, yeah, but we've studied all this. And, and actually there's like, we've seen there's no effects and actually depends. That's kind of not, it's, if you do start to look at the kind of the peer reviewed stuff that's out there, it, it's hard to, yeah. I mean, obviously it's easy to kind of dismiss, but again, like um, people like Dean Radin, they make a pretty good argument and, and really show the science. I mean, he, he's doing this as a physicist and not as someone trying to, I don't know, convince the world of something. He's just like, look, we did this, that happened. These people did that, this happened somehow. Uh, yeah, and just the rep reproducibility is a bit hard, but maybe that's expected because these are like super fragile, hard effects that we're now trying to look at. I, I don't know but just yeah. having the openness to, to be able to do these things without, without kind of being ridiculed, that would already be, I think, a great step. Yeah, I think so. And Dean Radin's uh, double slit experiment was reproduced, I think, in Brazil and got, you know, almost pretty close to, to confirmation, enough that, you know, he was pretty excited by the results. But then again, if you tell this to a physicist and they know the, just the name, they would be like, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, like, whatever. Yeah, can't I'm, be I'm true. Sure, I'm sure they, they, they did the experiment and it worked. Yeah, and they didn't cheat, no. <laughs> yeah, it's just like psi phenomena. You know, you, you have 5,000 first-person counts of a near-death experience or mediumship or something, and the scientist's answer is always no. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter that there's been 5,000 cases reported and they report 80-something percent of very similar experiences. My answer is just no. Yeah. And I mean, it's possible that these things don't exist. I mean, I'm fine right. with that, but, but just kind of the mindset of like how, how we're approaching this and, and, and researching this is, is kind of like, again, these blind spots that we, we've had in, in our history of, of, of sort of trying to discover the, the, how the world works. And, and I think we should just sort of um, be more open and, and, and sort of uh, accept that, yeah, there's things which we've thought about in, in the wrong way and others got it maybe right from a totally different perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, this question I feel compelled to ask you, although I'm not sure it's even a good or fair question at this point, but since this is about consciousness, um, can I ask you what you think consciousness is then after all of this and the things we've discussed and the things you've studied, what do you think consciousness is? I mean, is this something that, you know, what, what creates it? Does it create us? I mean, what's, what's your answer on essentially what, how would you define consciousness? Um, I mean, probably can't. Kind of my belief there is mm -hmm. kind of the, that, I mean, obviously I'm experiencing now. I, I, I kind of know what my kind of, 
consciousness is. So it's kind of like I'm kind of sort of centered in, in the middle of, of my universe where I'm kind of the, the conscious, conscious agent in, in the center of it. But um, I kind of like the notion of, of again, this panpsychism where there's different degrees and, and kind of different contexts for consciousness. And I, I do believe that there's kind of, yeah, um, a field of consciousness where you can sort of, um, individual consciousness can sort of uh, dissolve into and come out of and sort of maybe this is something which sort of, I don't know, is happening in the background of, of, of kind of birth and death and, 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 and kind of the process of, of the universe unfolding. But um, kind of this, this idea that, or kind of the, the notion that there's like just one sort of um, unit of consciousness, which is kind of being... Um, how should I say, which, which is kind of seen everywhere. I kind of like this story as well. Um, kind of the notion that it's always kind of the same unit of, of, of consciousness, which is experiencing reality, but all from different human point of views or non-human point of views. So it, it's kind of always this one essence, which is just kind of being fractured and passed around, but it's, it's kind of always the same kind of thing that it was. But again, it's like, we're, we're, kind of close to sort of this thing in itself which you can't touch or really sort of know about yeah it, it that almost does kind of lend itself or leave the door open to um behavior along the lines of of quantum physics um how do you mean in what sense um when we talk about like a field of consciousness it almost sounds like a, a wave field a particle wave field is that not the the type of concept that you're you're talking about with Actually, a, a yeah. field of consciousness um yeah in some sense yes that that for me it's always like when i think of quantum physics i'm always like sort of um thinking in a different way than when i'm sort of thinking about consciousness for some reason mm -hmm. maybe that's just sort of from my the the kind of yeah the training as as, as physicists so the kind of I keep them apart, but, but may, yeah, probably you're right. It's, it's, it, it kind of could be these sort of similar or, or same concepts which are playing out. Yeah. A fundamental thing. Um, so what, what have I not asked you? What, is there something else you want to get out there that I have not asked you about? Um, yeah. I mean, we kind of touched upon it, but, uh, I mean, one question we also have is like, why, or I have is, is, is sort of um, not, this is not specifically related to consciousness, but like intelligence. So why is it that humans who are individually like so incredibly intelligent, I mean, the capacity for language and abstract mm. thought and mathematics, I mean, this is crazy. I mean, we all can do this. We, we just start infants suddenly start to talk just by listening in any language. Like how can this individual sort of intelligence sum up to, <laughs> to this collective level where we're basically destroying the whole biosphere and have been for like quite a while and we know about it and we still mm. continue doing it. Like how does that work? Like, and, and then in contrast to this, why do you have, 
or how can you have like ants or or, or um, termites that individually have like no capacity for intelligence? They have no cognitive skills, but as a superorganism, they they function and and create air conditioning and um, display this amazing um, level of, of 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 collective intelligence. Like from mm. so that kind of that's something which I've been wondering for for really a long time. I mean, I don't believe that sort of individual intelligence is a barrier for collective intelligence. And I'm kind of wondering what the problem there is. Like, what, what are we doing that we, we kind of have this world we're living in where, I mean, which is also get, getting worse and worse in terms of kind of our belief systems where we, everyone's so entrenched in their belief system, which is incompatible with like other people's belief system that, that we like have close to like civil war sort of yeah. <laughs> scenarios playing out. How, how is this like, why is this happening? How, how are we not sort of converging onto sort of a more um, sort of holistic and, 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 and uh, I don't know, sort of healthier collective sort of psyche. Why, why isn't this happening? Like we have all the information, we're getting more and more information. We, we see more, we learn from our mistakes. So why aren't we sort of uh, as, as, as a collective entity, not acting on this more? Like what's, what is the, the component that's missing there? And maybe the, the answer could be exactly this, that we just have this wrong, concept of consciousness that we that we forgot to like sort of find it within ourselves that basically the answers to what is consciousness what is reality is basically found within ourselves if we like go through a lot of um, hard work and many hours of trying to just observe and understand our own consciousness like through meditation maybe kind of that's missing that we sort of um externalized everything and, and, and kind of also the notion of sort of like yeah this external god and, and kind of this this ethical thing of good and bad and all these things playing out that we're not a part of and maybe we should kind of think of ourselves as more interconnected in this whole thing which we probably are yeah we need to meditate and, and be more like the the termites yeah i mean that I mean, that would be really great if suddenly, yeah, we, we, this new level of, of organization just comes into being. I mean, without, without we actually sort of um, engineering it, that, that would be, uh, be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Because otherwise, you have to wonder where we're headed. You know, a, a millennia from now or, or longer, we look back at this moment when we started separating and, and destroying our biosphere, you know, to wonder what what role did this play in the future that we have there? You know, it's hard to see what that might be, but maybe we learn and we become collective. That would be awesome. And then the question is like, why uh, are we here in the first place? Our sun is going to explode in like 5 billion years. So like any life will be terminated by then anyway. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> So it's like, yeah, these big questions, like why is there anything and what's the whole point? I think that's like um, still so elusive, although we've just, We've tr so many people have tried really hard with very different means to try and answer this. And that's kind of, um, if we are in this cosmic play, it's like, it's definitely not getting boring. Right. Right. And exactly. I remember the first question my philosophy professor put out there, why are we here rather than not here? And that all that did was echo around in my head for the rest of the semester. And what does not being not existing even mean? Like, that's right. So weird concept. Like, uh, 
what is zero? What is nothing? What is nothingness? Nothingness. I mean, how, that's just as weird as like something. Yeah. Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. Okay. Well, last question, just an open-ended thing. What's, what's next from you? What are you, what are you thinking about these days and working on? Um, so kind of the, the work I've been doing now is, is like, um, kind of in a totally different sphere. Um, mm -hmm. not really working on, on, on any of this at the moment. So kind of, um, being helping sort of to bring around this, this digital transformation in, in, in the way we interact financially, sort of blockchains and decentralized ledgers and mm. all these things, which actually, um, coming to think of it, that's a good, um, blueprint for generating collective intelligence. So if, if we know one thing from, from how nature does it, decentralization is one crucial aspect. So these pyramids of, of, of concentration of power and like organization, which we humans love to do and always have been doing, this is like really, really bad for collective intelligence. So decentralization, that's like a good way to go. So hopefully kind of, um, yeah, with these decentralized ledgers, we, we get a new financial system, which is kind of more stable and more fair and, and more sustain, um, yeah, more sustainable in the, in the long run. Wow. But what I also would like to at one point come back to is sort of reflect on, on kind of these things. And I mean, I wrote about this in a, in a, in a very boring textbook, <laughs> which was, I mean, that was the framing that was fine. I mean, I, I, I like to do that, but it's just, uh, yeah, uh, it's it sort of, has a very small audience and maybe one thing would be pretty cool to sort of um yeah rephrase this and sort of take out the essence and just the most important things and just phrase it in normal language and make it more accessible to people well that would be fantastic i will definitely keep my eyes out for that book <laughs> yeah let's see how that <laughs> yeah well james thank you so much that was really insightful um, really great information and I'm, I'm really thankful for you to spend your time talking to me on this. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Stuart. That concludes another edition of the Consciousness Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Please find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash the Consciousness Podcast at our Twitter handle at ConchCast. And don't forget to subscribe to our feed at theconsciousnesspodcast.com. Thank you for listening.